You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas, from BleacherReport.com, and joining us, as always, from MMA Junkie and USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Uh, ben, change of venue today. Is there ever. We had a uh, some work being done over at my house, so we had to move the, that's, the, that's big. the location of the podcast. Just tell everyone that you hired a local artist to come in to your bedroom and paint a mural of you and your wife in embraced in the physical act of love because that's what we know is happening over there that is partially true but i'm not going to tell you which part uh so we in any case we have moved the location of the co-main event podcast recording to your new office your new downstairs office at your house which i have to admit has more of a lair type feel yeah. than, than really an office that's right uh, I think the first thing that I notice is that there's a bed in here, oh, like yeah, a, there is. a queen sized at least, mm-hmm. at least two. There's two full length mirrors in here, mm-hmm. giving you two different and uh, a pull up bar vantages in the over there. There's a, a a knife in a in a, a camouflage scabbard. That's just and that's only the knife you can see right now. There's a, a some kind of a portrait that looks like it's from the 1800s of an old woman and a baby that's just creeping me out right now. Those are my ancestors. Uh, so yeah, a lot of weird, weird stuff happening for this episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast. I feel like I should probably clarify for people that what had happened was uh, my wife and I are expecting another baby at the beginning of March, so I had to give up my old office so that the new baby has somewhere to live, which meant that my office now got relocated to the guest room, which explains the bed. Although... I'm not going to lie to you. I think it's probably going to be a good thing for me to have a bed here in my office because every once in a while I get the, the idea like, hey, if I could just lay down and take like a 20-minute nap, I might be way more productive. Plus, look at all the room. Look at all the room I have in here for activities, Chad. Oh, there, I mean, there's way more room in here. That's The room's not going to be the issue. <laughs> I, mean, the, I think the issue is going to be how many times does Ben Folks decide of an afternoon, perhaps after he's had a particularly heavy lunch, he's going to be like, you know what? I'm just going to I'm going to interview Rory McDonald today in bed, covers pulled up to my chin, and we're just going to see how that goes. I think it will go awesome. Until you fall asleep and miss miss the call. Well, you mean until I fall asleep during the interview because Rory McDonald refused to say anything interesting. I think we're going to have to get Dan Stupp on the line at some point and see what he thinks about this idea where you're taking naps in the middle of the day. Let's just see how it all plays out, okay? Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast in round number one. So that explains why John Jones is always hanging out in his bathrobe, doing air drums to Sister Christian, playing Russian roulette while a little dude wanders around in his underwear, lighting firecrackers inside the apartment. It all makes sense now. And in round number two, at this point, the most surprising thing that Donald the Cowboy Cerrone could do is suddenly start giving a fuck. And in round number three, this Sunday night in Boston, Massachusetts, in front of a stadium full of adoring fans with one final hurdle to clear before a shot at the title, Tom Brady and his New England Patriots host the fighting Colts of Indianapolis. Also, Conor McGregor will be in town. I see what you did. It's a little misdirection. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But right now, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. 
I'm perched on the edge of an ottoman. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. Isn't it great? I think we should, before we go on with listener mail, maybe we should give uh, uh, a, uh, what, a disclaimer about Bellator. Okay, sure. We, we realize that there's a Bellator show this weekend. Uh, we kind of had to bump it from doing a round of the show about it when John Jones tested positive for goddamn cocaine. <laughs> uh, so we were going to do listener, do a listener mail question about Bellator, but, uh, we didn't get any. No, not, not a, a single, single one. Not one. And I will say hundreds about John Jones. Yeah. So basically, if anybody has a problem with us not talking about uh, the Bellator title fight this weekend, it's kind of your fault. It's on you, really. Be the change you want to see. I will say th- this seems like the the least comment worthy of Bellator's upcoming few shows. So, uh, you know, once we get into the meat of it, once Manny Newton is out there ready to do the damn thing with Liam McGeary, paying we'll talk a- about that. Paying attention to his deja vus and coincidences and whatnot. First question this week comes to us from Mike Morgan. He writes, hey, Rory, what's happening? Remember that title shot you were promised? Yeah, I'm going to need you on the co-main event instead. Hendricks and Lawler are going to do it again, brother, and we need to sort of play catch up. Oh, I almost forgot. I'm going to need you to fight Hector Lombard. Okay, thanks a bunch, Rory. We're also going to need you to go ahead and move your office into the basement, Rory. Oh, wait, that just happened to Ben Folks. So some office space humor there yeah, from no, Mike Morgan. It's a good question. And it's well done. Not lost on us or and the, the predicament that uh, what, what did Rory McDonald change his nickname to? The Red King? The Red King. The, the Red King finds himself in a predicament, Ben. Yeah, it's almost as if the Red King is a largely ceremonial title <laughs> and does not carry with it any actual powers. Although, okay, here's one where I, I keep waiting for someone to be outraged about this. Um, because it feels like we would be outraged if it was somebody else, maybe who this was happening to, but I don't see that happening. Nobody really seems that pissed off about it. Maybe because, you know, we all recognize that, you know, that's a trilogy that needs to be completed with Lawler and Hendricks or because we recognize that, Hey, Roy McDonald versus Hector Lombard is a pretty good fight. I mean, that'd be some fun shit, right? Or just because like no one cares enough about Roy McDonald to really advocate for him getting that title shot that he is ostensibly earned. I, I don't know. Maybe it's a combination of all of those. I don't know. What is it? I believe it probably is a combination of all those. I mean, you would have to have made a pretty goddamn good case for yourself uh, in that division to suddenly preempt what we believe will be the awesomeness of a third fight between Robbie Lawler and, and Johnny Hendricks. I mean, uh, you know, they've had two. They were both very close. They split them. They were for the title. I guess I should add as an addendum. If anyone out there does listen and doesn't know, those fights were for the title. Uh, so it seems like they have some unfinished business that they need to come in and figure out. Although, uh, I mean, smart money says we come out and do five more rounds and those guys get themselves into another very close decision. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I feel like that's a that's a, a third act that we need to have before we give uh, Rory McDonald a, a, a shot at the title. Um, and, you know, the way Hector Lombard looked against... Josh Berkman, uh, he didn't, you know, certainly didn't look like a slouch, but but I also don't think at this point, and maybe this is sort of a what have you done for me lately sort of statement, but like, I don't know that it seems anymore like Hector Lombard would just come out and roll through Roy McDonald, right? Like that's, that's an even fight maybe with uh, the, 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 the numbers swinging toward the Red King a little bit. Right. It does seem like the kind of fight that usually the UFC... Uh, will want to stay away from, like where it has two guys who could both potentially be number one contenders, and you could throw them in together and come up with an 
unquestioned number one contender, but then you'd have to knock off one of them, and who needs to, who needs that kind of headache, right? Like, you're going to need somebody to fight the champ after that guy. So usually the UFC is kind of said, all right, we'll just go ahead and give the guy a title shot. But I feel like here's one where they think, okay, you got enough interesting stuff going on in the title picture with this trilogy fight thing happening. We might as well put those guys in there. And since nobody seems too upset about it, that probably tells you that maybe Rory McDonald... Uh, losing out on the title shot isn't that big a deal, that maybe people are not so uh, hungry to see him fight for a title just yet, and that there's still a little bit of work to be done. And I think, honestly, if you put him and, and Hector Lombard in a fight, whoever comes out of that one, I don't care how it goes, everybody then just has to shut up and accept that that person is the number one contender, do they not? Yes. Okay. <laughs> How was that? Yeah. Succinct? Yeah. Succinct enough for you? Yeah. We're really going to cut this one down. We're, we're thinking 40 minutes today. <laughs> yeah. We'll see if we make it to a half hour and then we're, then we'll see where we're at. Uh, next question this week comes from Cody Wilson. He writes, I know this may not be the biggest news of the week, but Hennon Burrell posted his new tattoo to social media. It made the front page of Reb Reddit MMA where everyone proceeded to make fun of it. Objectively speaking, it's a good portrait of, of what may possibly be a relative. Uh, I may not want to fuck this lady. Oh, okay. Wow. That's really went there in a hurry. Didn't took we? a weird turn there in the <laughs> yeah. middle of this one. Uh, but that is not how I tend to gauge the quality of a man's tattoo. I'm just saying, come on, MMA fans, stop being assholes. That's probably his gam gam. <laughs> his gam gam. Is uh, that what Brazilians call it? Their, I, their grandmother? Yeah, that's probably direct Portuguese translation. Gam gam. I'm going to say uh, I agree with, with most of what Cody Wilson says here, except for the middle part where we, where it kind of went NC 17 for a minute. But, uh, I mean, I guess if you post any tattoo on the, it's hard to imagine a tattoo that you posted on the internet that MMA fans wouldn't just rip to shreds. Yeah. Especially if a tattoo of somebody is always a tricky one. I feel I was just going to say, I'm going to come out with the statement that, uh, getting a portrait tattooed on your body is a risky proposition. We've yeah. seen those go bad, pretty bad. <laughs> we have. We have. There's uh, Alan Belter's Johnny Cash tattoo. That's that's the first one that comes to mind. Uh, even, you know, the thing I always think is whenever I see people with, like, tattoos of children, like whether it's their children or somebody else's children, it's like, you know they're going to get older, right? Like, they're not going to look like that forever, and yet they will be etched forever in your skin as their like childlike cherubic form. And I don't know if that's necessarily something that you or they are going to want in every case. Well, see, whenever I see someone with a, a portrait tattooed on their, on their physical being, I assume that that is some kind of uh, a tribute to a fallen relative. I assume that whoever is in the portrait has passed away. Uh, typically I don't get into a lot of in-depth conversations with people about the portrait that they have tattooed on their body. So that's just an assumption that I've made. Perhaps that's, that's incorrect. Perhaps erroneously. Uh, I would say in the case of, of Henan Barrow, I assume that, that this woman has passed away and he is honoring her memory by putting, uh, her image on, on his pectoral, or I believe on his left pectoral. Do uh, you want to make of, up any more stories about it to go along with as it, a as word long of, as you're doing this? As a word of caution, I would say it's probably going to be difficult for Henan Barrow to further pass himself off as a monster now that he has Gam Gam tattooed on his chest. Unless he tells people that that is the portrait of like a woman that he murdered, then then he becomes a literal monster. Wow, yeah. You just kind of blew my mind there There with you that. go. You know, I feel like... I feel like I feel bad for Henan Burrell. Like, people pick on him or something in a weird way. And I don't know what it is that it feels like 
like sad Hennon Burrell has become like almost an MMA meme, like just because, you know, he's had, he had a tough year last year. Like a lot of things didn't really go his way. And like when people start picking on Hennon Burrell, it seems like they're picking on like probably a legitimately nice guy who is, has, has suffered some bad breaks recently. And I just wish they'd leave him alone. You know, haven't you been one of those people? Like, I feel like on this show, you've <laughs> openly mocked Hennon Burrell's physical appearance. Did I, I just make that up? Or? I wouldn't say openly mocked his physical appearance. I mean, he looks goofy. Let's We can we can say that. He looks a little goofy. Well, now we're doing some double dealing here. Ben, uh, ben I, Folks just wants everyone to stop making fun of the poor, bedraggled Hennon Burrell, <laughs> but does also want to make the point. Oh, he is goofy. I was not. Up. You were the one who wanted to make the point that he was goofy. I think I made the I'm point that he was goofy. I'm making the point that you have previously made the point that he's goofy. But that was before a bunch of bad shit happened to him, man. <laughs> so now you feel bad for him. Yes. Thank you. The you're, the, you're the one who uh, has the problem with his slinky dance. I'm the one who finds it, you know, the right amount of erotic. Not overly erotic, as you have claimed in the past. I think it's just erotic enough. Well, you are the guy who now has a, a, a bed in his office, makes his office in a fuck pad. Yeah. So I guess I'm going to have to concede Step on into you my office. on all matters of human uh, eroticism. That's right. And you gives you something to think about the next time I... Tell you that uh, I think you should come down to my office and discuss it. Hmm? <laughs> Hopefully this is the only time I ever have cause to be in here. Next question comes from Carl Kirk. He writes, it's come to my attention that the former UFC fighter and Tito Ortiz punching bag, the redoubtable Ken Shamrock, has accepted a challenge to fight a bare knuckle fist fight with a middle aged Irish traveler. Presumably, the fight will take place in a caravan of some sort, if I know my travelers. The traveler can perhaps be excused, as he lives in a caravan, but assuming Mr. Shamrock does not, we can hardly offer him the same leeway? Question mark. So I guess I should have said, we can hardly offer him the same leeway? <laughs> you, you mentioned before that there was a lot more to this question that you decided to cut out. Yeah, in the middle, it kind of went off about Donald Cerrone and about how maybe he should fight the Traveler since we know he'll fight anyone at any time. Uh, but since we're doing a round about Donald Cerrone, I wanted to leave that until later. But I did feel like Ken Shamrock fighting a gypsy in a bare-knuckle <laughs> boxing fight was worthy of, of a few minutes of discussion, if I, nothing else. I'd like a little clarification on this term Traveler because I've seen it thrown around. Like, I was unaware of this dude uh, – what, do you know the guy's name? Do you have the guy's name over there? There's like three not. Irish names. No. Um, and he's like a, a bare-knuckle boxing champion. And I watched uh, a clip from this movie, this documentary about him called Knuckle, um, which I'm told is on Netflix. And then I watched the trailer for it, and it looks like some – I don't know how I made it this far in life without seeing it. I, I kind of feel mad at everybody who knew about it and also knows me and did not tell me about it because clearly it coincides with my interests. I actually think that uh, people have recommended that to us really? before on Twitter as something that we should watch as part of Tips for the Well-Rounded Fight Fan. Uh, and it's true. We do actually feel like assholes now for having not watched it. Yeah, there's it looks that, awesome. And there's also an arm wrestling documentary that people keep recommending. Over the Top? I've seen that That one. is not a documentary, what? my friend. That's uh, a bit of uh, drama. Oh, well. Scripted drama is what that is. I owe some people some apologies. The man that Ken Shamrock is fighting, uh, according to a Bloody Elbow headline, is nicknamed King of the Travelers, and his name is James Quinn McDonough. Oh, that is Irish as fuck. So you might as well just be Patty O'Houlihan at this point. Does Traveler just mean, like, vagabond? Like, is he, like, going around, like, with a bindle on his shoulder? Like, like riding the rails and jumping off and, and fighting people at every stop like some Jack Dempsey shit. 
Yeah, well, it's like, uh, you know, being a, a traveler uh, uh, or a t- I think they're also called tinkers, maybe, uh, over there in... in, in I uh, Tinker did something with watches. The British Isle. Well, that's, a, that's a different okay. translation. Uh, but it's like Brad Pitt's character in Snatch. You know, he lives in a trailer and they kind of travel around. That, that's, that's what my assumption of, of what a traveler is. It's a... But it's like a known thing in the fictional country of Ireland. Okay. It seems awesome. It seems like something I need to learn some more about. I also felt like when I heard this, like, one part of me was like, well, of course, this would be the stage in Ken Shamrock's career where he agrees to a bare-knuckle boxing contest against a well-known Irish traveler. Like, that just seems like the career arc we all knew Ken Shamrock was on. But also, how does Ken Shamrock think this is a good idea? Like, a bare-knuckle boxing match against a guy who was actually good at bare knuckle boxing would have been a bad idea for Ken Shamrock in his prime, my man. Am I the only one who feels like maybe it's not, we're not really working to Ken Shamrock's strengths here? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you could probably make that accusation against many of the final years of Ken Shamrock's fighting career that perhaps he was not quote playing to his strengths. Uh, but you, you actually watched some of James Quinn McDonough, right? In the, in, right. in the, the outtakes of knuckle that you've seen. Uh, and we were discussing this the other day that it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility that this guy's going to knock Ken Shamrock out, right? Like no. he seems like the favorite here. If we were going to pick one, I mean, he doesn't seem like a super slick boxer or anything. Uh, like the way I think of that, I was describing it when we were talking about it before was, when you hear the words Irish bare knuckle boxing champion, the person you picture is exactly right. Like that, that's who this guy looks like. Uh, and that's kind of who he fights like too. But like, seems like he has a little bit of skill there and has been in a few things. Uh, whereas for Ken Shamrock, I feel like, man, if you were in an MMA fight against that guy, you would have to take him down and he'll hook the shit out of him, right? Like that would be your game plan. And so, wait, you just agreed to a fight that takes that possibility completely away? Because I don't see how that's a good idea for you, man. But I guess if you just need any sort of paycheck, you take whatever comes around, right? Now, do we know where this this uh, fight will occur or where it will be broadcast? For the, I assume that I assume is, on a dirt being... road in Cork. Yeah, uh, on a lane or, or a garden, maybe right. in a field. Yeah, uh, where your big one of your biggest concerns is not stepping in like a snake den. <laughs> Got to stay out of the gopher holes while you're out there. Got to watch your footwork. Uh, but this, I assume, this is being promoted as something that will be offered for our viewing on pay per view television, right? Or am I wrong about that? I don't know. Let's say that it is. Would you pay to view it? I'm gonna come out and say I'm gonna wait for the internet video or just watch the GIF. How about if there's a strong undercard? <laughs> okay, well, you might have to sell me on that, but, you know. if Okay, how about if the undercard includes, like, uh, you know, a couple other travelers taking on, like, hated family rivals or something. Also, at one point, a strong man will come out and perform feats of strength. Okay, uh, like a keg toss. Uh, yeah, or he'll lift up like huge like bales of hay and like bags of grain and stuff. He's gonna lift a platform full of NFL cheerleaders, like right. they used to do in the World's Strongest Man. He might toss a cable, refrigerator carry. Yeah, until that one guy blew his knee out. Remember that? I do not remember that, but I now I know, never want to see that. That was the end of the refrigerator carry in the World's Strongest Man. Um, also a. Somebody's niece will sing a song halfway through. Okay. Well, this is actually starting to sound enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, while you were talking, I started to think to myself, what about an entire card of sort of um, 
I don't want to say washed up, but washed up <laughs> MMA fighters against the against best Irish travelers? against the best that the travelers have to offer. That, An entire card of that. You kind of just blew my mind. Like Kimbo against whoever the heavyweight champion of the Travelers is. Yeah, man. Yeah. Or I mean, like, you're come on. You you're telling me if the the co-main event of this were Chris Lieben versus a Traveler that you wouldn't just get your wallet out as fast as you possibly could in order to pay for it. Oh, I, I know would. you would. I would, but I would also, I I guess, maybe not slate Chris Lieben quite in the same sort of dire straits that we might imagine could befall some of the other guys on that card. I hope that he's still, I hope that Chris Lieben is still a level above fighting if on, on Traveler versus MMA, TV. I would see Chris Lieben as really lending some credibility and gravitas to the entire event. I wouldn't want to be that Traveler. Uh, last question this week come from Chris Girardi. He writes, assuming Chris Weidman defeats Vitor Belfort and Anderson Silva be- beats Nick Diaz, Silva gets an immediate title shot against Weidman, who in their first fight knocked Anderson Silva out unconscious, and in their second fight broke Anderson Silva's leg in half. How does this fight make any sense with the likes of Luke Rockhold, Jacare Souza, and Yoel Romero waiting in line? There's a reason why Anderson Silva was champion for so long and is no longer champion because fighters like James Irvin, Damian Maya, Talis Latis, Travis Luter, Yushin Okami, etc. have been replaced in the middleweight division by guys like Chris Weidman and the previously mentioned contenders, all of which beat the tar out of Anderson Silva. Um, I guess I could start our discussion about why Chris Weidman versus Anderson Silva would be booked just by saying, Money, 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 money. Wow. I didn't know you could hit those notes. I just did that like two weeks ago. Really? Yeah, on the show. You were. You did it with money or you, you did it with something else? You were there. Million Dollar Man theme song? No. Just draw a blank for Doesn't you? ring any bells for me. Wow. Well, this is why we can't have any sort of like running jokes. Yeah, that's got to be it. You can't just be because not totally present. So wait, now you're just looking for opportunities to do that. It sounds like, well, hopefully the third time I do it, you will know, you will understand the context of why it's being done. Do what? See, I've already forgotten. No, I'm not. (laughs) It's like, I'm doing a show with the guy from Memento. (laughs) Well, okay. The, it does make no sense that Anderson Silva would go out there and beat Nick Diaz, a welterweight basically, who doesn't even really want to fight anymore and seems mad at us that we keep making him fight just to earn the what was that song about that you were just No, singing? come on. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean there's no logical way that that really makes a whole lot of sense, especially considering how interesting the middleweight division is outside of that. I guess I keep keep telling myself that that's not really going to happen that like that it's just something the UFC is saying right now in order to try to lend some air of meaning to this fight, when it which seems unnecessary because Anderson Silva versus Nick Diaz is like I'll just I'll watch that I'll I'll just watch that every single time. You don't need to to make up any stakes for it for me. Right? Yeah, no, I totally agree with you that it is that this fight doesn't need that sort of like additional layer of of like respectability or relevance because it doesn't need either of those things, right? It's just going to be a fun thing to watch. Uh, but I will say that like, I feel like they, that Anderson Silva, Chris Weidman three is totally possible and not just a thing that the UFC is saying, because I think we're starting to see more of this kind of matchmaking in 2015. Now that, that makes you feel like despite the, uh, you know, the positive spin that the UFC often puts on its its standing and its financial situation. Like, it kind of seems like in 2015, they need to make all the money they possibly can make. Uh, and that's what, you know, the the 
the propping up of Conor McGregor seems like to me, which we'll talk about later in the show and the, uh, you know, the signing of CM Punk, the, uh, endless speculation about Brock Lesnar. It just seems like if we get the chance to make big fights during 2015, we're not going to let that get away. Uh, and Chris Weidman, Anderson Silva three probably would still make them a, a fair amount of money, even if we don't know that it had been that, or that it would be that competitive of a fight. Although I'm not going to say that it would be an open and shut case. Like, um, you know, Chris Weidman wins that fight. Yeah, well, he probably wins it. And, we, you know, I've picked Chris Weidman twice in a row, so I probably would pick him the third time. But I wouldn't also totally can't count Anderson Silva out of it, even at his advanced age. I mean, how he looks in the cage against Nick Diaz is going to tell us a lot, I guess, about how to feel about that eventuality. I don't know. If I'm he, gonna, I'm if gonna he shows up looking suddenly old against Nick Diaz, then, yeah, Chris Weidman would... would starch him but uh uh you know if he comes out looking like the same old anderson silva uh number one i'm not sure that will be an incredible feat to accomplish against nick diaz but also eh, i would watch it again why not i'm gonna need to see uh anderson silva walking down some stairs first before i make any statements about how i think he could do i mean that's just what about like an instagram blurry instagram video of him hitting the makiwara boards yeah no that's that's probably you know the most important thing for me in determining uh how i think a fight's gonna go is blurry instagram videos uh but i also wonder how much of it has to do with you know, since Anderson Silva was with the UFC for so long and was champ for so long and was signing like these ridiculous contract extensions over and over again, where it's like, yeah, he signed a 27 fight deal. He's going to be with us until he's 60. Uh, is it just to the point where he costs so much to have him come fight that it's got to be a fight that you feel like you can make some big money off of? Uh, in order for it to be remotely worth it for the UFC. Like if he's going to be a 40 year old dude hanging around the UFC, but making just like kind of a, Outs, outsize uh, amount of money for what he's, he's capable of at this point. Do you think the UFC just feels like, all right, well, it's either got to be one of these just fun for the hell of it that people will definitely watch fights against a guy like Nick Diaz, and then if you run out of those, then shit, it's got to be a title fight um, because otherwise there's no way to justify the cost. Yeah, it does seem like he's definitely entering the fun fight portion of his career. Uh, Which he could really kind of stretch out for a while if yeah, he wanted no, to. Yeah, he's still like at least a dozen fights away from fighting the King of the Travelers, right? Like, that's not right around the corner. Unless this dude beats Ken Shamrock, then sign, <laughs> sign him immediately. You feel, like the guy, you feel like beating Ken Shamrock in a lane somewhere punches his ticket to an Anderson Silva fight. I'm not saying that there's not dudes in the UFC who have done less than that. <laughs> okay. at this point let's just let's just put it that way uh before we move on it does seem like sort of a harsh indictment of anderson silva to say that he is not champion because that james Irvin and damian myers of the world have been replaced by chris weidman and jacare souza uh obviously the the competition gets has been getting better and better at 185 pounds but like anderson silva is also old like yeah. that's probably the main thing that that uh prevents him from being a top middleweight. It's not that like it's not that Anderson Silva, the greatest fighter of all time, can't hang with the new breed of 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 middleweights. You're saying that the inexorable march of time continues. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Father and, Time is the real opponent here, Ben. <laughs> and he cannot be vanquished. Also though, I mean I think it is worth mentioning that like look around at middleweight right now. 
it's fucking awesome. Like, there's a lot of good fighters at middleweight. So even if it were the case that, like, okay, those guys have, have moved out and a new breed has moved in, like, this is not a, a bad time at middleweight at all right now. Like, there's there's a lot of cool fights that can be made coming up here. And that, I think, is the maybe one of the strongest arguments against having Anderson Silva come in there and fight Chris Weidman for a third time is just that there's probably a lot better uses of Chris Weidman's time. Yeah, it would be a bummer for those other dudes. Because then you're in a situation where you don't know how long the delay will be. Yeah. As you never do. Yeah. Anyway, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, a concern that you would like to air to the co-main event podcast in future weeks, you know how to get a hold of us. You can go to the website comainevent.com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that happen in mixed martial arts You know, between the Mondays when we re- record the podcast. So it's a fun time. You'll like it. It's also kind of necessary because tons of breaking news happens immediately after we release the podcast. In that vein, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. All right, Ben. Well, this is one where it's hard to even know where to begin. Uh, but last week, you, you know, immediate, uh, fittingly, immediately after we released the co-main event podcast, news broke uh, that UFC light heavyweight champion John Jones had tested positive for the main metabolite in cocaine, uh, which is a word that starts with B that I don't think either of us want to try to pronounce. Let's just say cocaine. He tested positive for cocaine. Uh, and that led to a, like a week's long, a week long comedy of errors, frankly, uh, <laughs> from the Nevada state athletic commission to, uh, you know, Jones himself to the UFC and how it apparently handled the situation. Um, I don't know fully where to start, but I guess maybe we just start with John Jones testing positive for cocaine and then kind of move on from there, I guess. Um, as you know, we cracked the joke in the, breakfast of champions this week that the young eccentric millionaire with the giant African cat that he takes everywhere with him, uh, testing positive for cocaine, uh, is not necessarily a shocker. Uh, but to me, uh, especially given that John Jones is like previous substance abuse issues, like his DUI had been fairly well documented. It was not necessarily a surprise that John Jones would, uh, ha- have a taste for a party that he would like the Bolivian marching powder. Uh, but it was surprising to me that he tested positive for this thing a month out from fighting the dude that we all thought was his biggest test of his career. You see, that is the thing, too, that I was wondering about was which way, like in which fashion are we supposed to be concerned here? Is it that uh, John Jones was apparently so unconcerned about Daniel Cormier that a month out from the fight, he's you know doing a little blow in training camp because those Cocaine metabolites don't typically stick around that long that, you know, unless you're a really, really heavy user, uh, most people say you have to have been using within three days or so uh, of the test in order to get popped. So is it that he was taking the challenge that lightly or at least was so confident in his own abilities that he figured like, hey, as long as I work hard in the gym man, I can party outside of it and everything's going to be fine? 
Or is it that he has such a substance abuse problem that even though he knew he really shouldn't be doing this, he couldn't stay away from it? I'm tempted to think that it's the former instead of the latter, because the guy who showed up and fought and beat Daniel Cormier did not seem to me like somebody who was a raging coke addict. Like, that person is not going to be able to show up to the gym uh, often enough to be able to look as good as John Jones did and do what John Jones. I mean, maybe he's that rare guy who can just party his ass off like he's Richard Pryor and still go out there and fight like John Jones. I don't know. I, that seems like a tall order even for him. Um, so it makes me think it's probably just a little bit of occasional use, maybe poorly timed. But then I also wonder, like, okay, so the big thing that the UFC does is when the news comes out that John Jones failed the test, oh, and immediately followed by, and he's going to rehab. So you're telling me that the guy has a bad enough coke problem that he has to go to rehab in order to treat his raging, life-threatening addiction, but not so bad that he couldn't go five rounds with Daniel Cormier when you had paper in front of you to tell you that he was on coke. And that those two things don't go together for me, especially for Dana White to get on UFC tonight or, or, or in Fox Sports Live or whatever it was and say, like, hey, the thing right now is we're concerned about the guy. You know, we're just concerned about his health. And it's like, yeah, you weren't so concerned about his health that you considered pulling him out of that fight, though. Like, you were concerned about his health now after he's had the fight and everybody's made their money off of it, right? Yeah, and, you know, we always come back to the point, like marijuana, everyone, or at least a, a certain percentage of the population says, uh, we don't really care what these guys do in terms of drugs of abuse, uh, you know, so that, that we don't necessarily know that it's our business. Obviously, uh, it's a little bit different with cocaine because when combined with strenuous physical activity, that can kill you. Uh, so, and you're, you're dealing with an addictive substance. So it's a little bit of a different, uh, ball of wax, uh, you know, in, in some ways. Uh, but I agree with you. It seems inconceivable that John Jones could be a raging cocaine addict and still be the greatest fighter that we've ever seen. If he can do that, almost like more power to him, man, because that's fucking impressive. And if you played it right, this could almost be like a sweet burn on Daniel Cormier, right? Like years <laughs> later, when you go back to do the 30 for 30 uh, retrospective, John Jones could just like further kind of give Cormier an elbow to the ribs by being like, yeah, man, like I was barely concentrating on my training camp. I was partying all the time. My life was crazy. Like going to rehab was the best thing that ever happened to me. Okay, but then I also feel like if we're saying that, hey, you know, he, he just kind of got caught like, bad timing you know he used a little bit of cocaine here right. and there uh and then we do the thing like hey, but he's going to rehab so everybody shut up about it isn't this going to be just the the saddest rehab ever for the other people in it like if john jones is actually in a rehab somewhere right now like you know not just at home watching tv like for if it's some pr stunt rehab i feel bad for everybody else who has to be like tangentially around for that as john jones shows up to group meetings and pretends to be moved like I would prefer no rehab than a fake PR rehab. Yeah, uh, and you got to think that if he does come back and and at least publicly is able to kick this habit, whatever it is, and continue on with his MMA career, in a weird way, this is just going to be another page in the already long and strange book of John Jones. Uh, because while, you know, when a dude shows up saying he has a cocaine addiction so bad he needs to go to rehab, it does make me feel like our years long argument about whether or not John Jones is a good person or a bad person has been kind of silly. But at the same time, like if he comes back and goes back to being the dominant dude that he was before, 
you know, people are the people who don't like him will probably always mock him for this. But I don't feel like this like sticks to his legacy that much. Do you? Not really. I mean, I think that he was already on his way to shedding the attempts to try to be the like church boy kind of guy that he wanted to present himself as. Like, it seemed like he had already kind of accepted in the run up to this Daniel Cormier fight that that wasn't working and that he wasn't going to really do that anymore. Uh, and so now it's one of those things where like, yeah, people are going to mess with him about it and they're going to try to keep bringing it up and, and make fun of him with it. But uh, depending on how he plays it, that that's not necessarily such a bad thing. I, I mean, it also just makes me wonder about, you know, how seldom we have seen in the past this kind of uh, drug testing in general. Like, right, like, let's say he passes fight night test. I don't think we've even heard him on that yet, like, if all that stuff is clear. Uh, but usually, you know, we don't see this, like, where the commission showing up to drug test you a month out from your fight. You know, that's a kind of a recent development, like where people have gotten on the commissions about not doing the right kind of drug testing, only doing fight night testing. And so now that they're doing this kind of stuff and the commission saying afterwards that basically they didn't even mean to test for cocaine. Right. Like, yeah. That's I mean, and I'm sure that's kind of the, the next place for us to go with this discussion is to talk about the NSAC's role in all this. It just makes you wonder, like, if they had made this kind of screw up before or been doing this kind of testing before, uh, how many other guys might have gotten popped you know, a month out from their fight with some some drugs of, of recreational use. Yeah, probably a lot if you're testing for, you know, marijuana and, and things like that. Uh, let's talk about this drug testing thing, though, because I feel like that after a week of watching the Nevada State Athletic Commission in a lot of ways twist in the wind on this story, uh, this has not... Uh, improved anyone's confidence, I guess you would say, in athletic commission's ability to correctly and properly handle enhanced drug testing. And uh, it's hard to ignore the irony, I guess you would say, that like John Jones uh, was the fact that he flunked this uh, test for cocaine was made public just four days after Dana White had the, the small media scrum where he announced that the UFC was probably going to scrap its plans to do enhanced in-house testing in 2015. Uh, weird that that happened and then that John Jones tested positive and then we had this big debacle with the Nevada State Athletic Commission because I guess they're having a meeting probably about it as we speak uh, where I assume they're going to legalize all drugs since we're about to publish an episode of the podcast. Yeah. Uh, but, um, I, you know, I don't come out of this feeling like, yes, the thing to do is give more funding to the athletic commissions and let them do all of the enhanced testing. Yeah, that is some weird timing on all that, isn't it? Especially to say, like, hey, we decided that we're going to, we just screw up the drug testing if we try to do it ourselves. So instead, we're just going to give money to the athletic commissions. Uh, oh, who, by the way, are about to, uh, you know, take the heat for some of this other stuff that happened before that you guys don't know about yet. And then uh, hopefully be pretty cool about it. Uh, when that all does come down, I mean, like saying we're just going to give money to those commissions, that that wording makes it seem a little weird. Right. Like and also like I don't feel like the problem, like especially with what we've seen from the NSAC around this, it doesn't feel like funding is the big problem there that we've seen. It seems like, you know, competence is the problem. It also seems like we've seen this in several situations with the NSAC where they just don't seem to have a plan for how things can go before they go that way. Like, they have to to face these problems before they even think about how to fix it, which doesn't seem like, uh, again, the kind of thing that builds confidence in us. And and we need to have some confidence, right? Because they're the ones that the UFC keeps pointing to and they say they're regulated by the government. 
Yeah, and this is one of the best funded and most influential state athletic commissions in the nation. And so to watch them kind of uh, flail around at this thing so badly just makes you wonder, like, man, what is going on in Texas? You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I wonder if, like, if we didn't have Twitter and these sort of, like, up-to-the-minute social media updates, if a lot of this would sort of fly under the radar uh, because we wouldn't get the, like, moment-to-moment -moment updates from MMA reporters saying, like, the Nevada State Athletic Commission is saying this, and then five minutes later, they've changed their story. Like, we wouldn't necessarily get that sort of live timeline. So I wonder how much of it is kind of affected by uh, the way we view news today. Because, I mean, uh, we do come out of this with the perception that the Nevada State Athletic Commission has no idea what it's doing. Uh, and I wonder if that we would have that same perception if the only thing we had to go on was, like, the daily newspaper that we wake up in the morning and get the final word from, right? You mean if the Nevada State Athletic Commission just had a better chance to consolidate its story? Yes, yeah. Or, or whatever happened. Uh, let's say a word before we move on about Jones's weird uh, testosterone to epitestosterone ratios, which raised a lot of eyebrows this week. Uh, it, you know, his it's impossible to t really tell anything from the variety of testing that, that we believed was done, but Jones's uh, TE ratios were weird. Uh, and a lot of people said, people that know more about it than I do, that it was indicative of somebody who had either been on some kind of performance enhancer or was trying to use a masking agent uh, to hide their performance enhancing. And one of the back and forth things that the NSAC did was first tell us that it hadn't done uh, carbon isotope ratio testing because it would be too expensive to figure out if Jones had been using like synthetic testosterone, then all of a sudden they come out and say, Oh wait, no, we did do it. And he passed them all. See, uh, that, that's the problem. That's the credibility problem that you've already created right, for yourself. In a nutshell, the, because then yeah. you have to be like, and they've already told us that like there was misprints on the lab uh, paperwork that they like, they shouldn't have done the cocaine test to begin with. Then they tell us we didn't do the CIR testing. Then they tell us, Oh wait, he, we did. And he passed. That's the kind of thing that makes you go, really? Okay, yeah. Yeah, I we, guess. I mean, we already don't trust you after everything that's gone down with this, right? So for for you to then have to come out and be like, oh, no, wait, everything's fine. Trust us. It's cool. It's cool. Don't worry about it. Like, that, that is exactly immediately after creating this credibility problem for yourself, you reminded us why we need a state athletic commission to have credibility. Yeah. Because uh, something like that, I mean, where that quickly kind of became the, the new story where people were talking about, okay, wait a minute, did they accidentally catch him on something else too? And when they had to release this paperwork to everybody, uh, we pointed it out to them rather than them seeing it for themselves because they didn't know what they were looking for. It, did that happen? And then for them to say, no, 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 don't worry about it. I don't feel like a whole lot of people are like, well, hey, if you say it's fine, then it must be fine, NSAC, because uh, we trust you so much. But the other thing about that is, I don't know, did you see Brian Stan on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast? I did not. Kind of talking about this. And Brian Stan's a smart guy. It's always interesting to hear what he has to say about stuff like that. And he was saying, you know, while that the rumors about John Jones, you know, liking a good party uh, have floated around out there for a while now. One thing that you don't hear about him are rumors about performance enhancing drug use. And he was saying, you know, I'd be really surprised if it turned out that, that was the case. Because usually if that's something that's going on with somebody, you hear about that beforehand, you know, th that kind of stuff floats around. And it's true. Like you just, you don't really hear people making that accusation about John Jones. Um, so if anything makes it a little easier for me to believe that that, you know, that there was smoke and no fire in that situation. It is kind of that because, uh, you know, yeah, we've all heard the, the rumors that John Jones uh, 
you know, might, might like to, to get buck wild at a party, but we don't hear a whole lot of people being like, and he's totally on the juice. Right. So I guess just to wrap up, we should say a final, as a final word right now, we don't have any reason to suspect that John Jones is on performance enhancers. Uh, he, if he did indeed pass these tests. And we also don't have any reason to believe that the Nevada State Athletic Commission would knowingly lie to us because the paperwork is going to come out. Uh, they don't, they wouldn't really have a, a reason to do that. Um, but let's do, are you fucking kidding me? Okay. And then we'll move on to round number two, Ben. This week, my are you fucking kidding me? Oh, it dovetails nicely with this story, in fact, because it's a, another drug testing issue. Um, it, some drug testing issue that flew under the radar a little bit because of this Jones stuff. Ashley Evans Smith, who stepped in on short notice, uh, to take on Raquel Pennington back at UFC 181, which seems like it was like a million years ago. Uh, she lost BT dubs. Got choked out one second with one second on the clock uh, in the first round. But the worst news was that we just found out this past week uh, that the Nevada State Athletic Commission said that she tested positive for uh, diuretics. Uh, and I guess we're led to believe in, in typical NSAZ fashion, uh, maybe forgot to tell her or forgot to tell her that she needed to show up at this meeting. And she'll, tell hear, the, she'll hear it on the street, right? The, the very last minute. But, you know. The biggest are you fucking kidding me moment actually came from manager Mike McLeish, who told MMA junkie Stephen Morocco he believed that the positive test may have come from a supplement that Ashley Evan Smith took in advance of the fight, which he said were plant based. And his his quote was, she takes flowers, weird shit. It could possibly be that. So that would be a first. <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? Someone tests positive. For flowers. <laughs> That'd be so wonderful. Well, Chad, my, are you fucking kidding me? You know, we mentioned earlier on the podcast, uh, Chris Lieben, the crippler, guy we don't talk about uh, that much anymore. Uh, seems that uh, he sent out a little tweet earlier today saying that he signed a book deal. A book deal ostensibly to write a book about his life, which he promises will not be the usual fighter biography. I assume he means autobiography. Uh, but I'm just saying... Are you fucking kidding me? That's awesome. Where can I get a copy of Chris Lieben's book? I will buy that in a goddamn heartbeat. And maybe I'll even force us to have a CME book club about it. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, I want to read Chris Lieben's autobiography. Yeah, I do. Are you fucking kidding me? That's a good idea. If that comes out, we should do CME book club about that. Oh, man. Are you worried that it's going to come out like they're going to they're going to counter program your book, Chris <laughs> yeah, Levin's book? That'd, that'd be bad. That'd I don't feel good about me. your your chances of winning that one. No, I think I'd... you're you're going to end up as the uh, the affliction uh, in that one, if you know what I mean. That would still be, you know, an achievement. <laughs> OK, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Well, Chad, if you're going to be out on the roads in the Boston area this week, you might want to keep your eyes peeled for a big-ass RV because it could possibly contain Donald Cowboy Cerrone, who, if you anger him or just have some money for him in the deal, will totally fight you on a moment's goddamn notice. 
Are you kidding me here? Donald Cerrone is going to turn right around on, I think, about 15 days rest and go from his win over Miles Jury that included the fuck you kicks there at the end to turn right around for a third fight against Benson Henderson in the co-main of USC Fight Night 59 here. Is this Donald Cerrone doing exactly what we were talking about last week where he fights so much that eventually he loses one and like his momentum uh, in the lightweight division comes screeching to a halt? Or is this just, you know, Cerrone gonna Cerrone? Well, number one, it's not easy to drive in that area, not even with a normal sized car. So I hope that somebody has hooked Donald Cerrone up with like a place to park his RV. Or, or just, a, you know, somebody to do like they do for those huge trucks carrying oversized loads to just drive in front of him to kind of clear a path. I drove a minivan around Boston when we uh, had to go out back east for uh, my brother-in-law's wedding this summer, and it was one of the most stressful things I've done in months. Yeah, so hopefully he has a place to uh, to park that. Uh, I guess, secondly, it is tempting to say that this is Donald Zeroni doing that thing where he fights so often uh, in the lightweight division that there's not a man alive that could, could keep up the, the winning streak without suffering a setback. I guess we should wait to see the actual fight uh, before we fully pass judgment on that. But this is a dangerous one for him uh, against a Benson Henderson who needs to get off the schneid after losing his last fight to Rafael Dos Anjos and a guy that's beat Cowboy Cerrone twice before, although uh, both of their uh, previous meetings were years ago. The first time they fought uh, was an amazing fight way back, I think, in 2009. And then uh, the, the second time they fought uh, was uh, the, the following year, April of 2010. And that time, Ben Henderson uh, choked him out in just under two minutes uh, back in the days when uh, when Ben Henderson was just killing people with his guillotine choke before everyone realized that was a thing they needed to train for because he had a great one. Uh, so it's tough to tell a little bit how this third meeting will go between them, although in the past... Ben Henderson has always kind of come out on top. Um, but it seems like Cowboy Cerrone, like we've said before, doesn't care. I saw he did. He was doing like one of his kind of endless uh, Twitter Q&As with fans that he pretty much does all the time now. Uh, and someone asked him why, why risk it? Why take this fight and risk, you know, snapping the winning streak and all the momentum? And his reply was just, why not? So it seems like uh, he's full on... Uh, in the money weight department at this point, just yeah. trying to make all the money he can. And also, I guess, trying to stay out there and stay active since uh, he gives every impression that this is the thing that he likes to do most of all. Yeah. I also, I mean, on one hand, I feel like maybe this is the time to fight Benson Henderson right now, right? Like it seems like maybe uh, mentally he might be a little more fragile uh, just because he, he's not riding quite as high as he would have been, you know, a couple of years ago. Uh, and I also think that part of it for Cerrone is, uh, you know, he's talked about his struggles with the mental game. Greg Jackson has talked about how Cerrone is kind of uh, like you'd look at him and you think that he's just this badass motherfucker who, who, who doesn't give a damn and will fight anybody. But uh, actually, Greg Jackson says that when they warm up before fights, pretty much every single time, Donald Cerrone says, I don't know why I'm doing this. This is awful. I'm never going to do this again. This is the last time I'm ever doing it. And Greg Jackson says, all right, yeah, last time we'll do it. Let's go out there and make it a good one. And then they they warm up and go out there and he fights. And then right after it's over, he can't wait to do it again. And that's just kind of his routine. So part of me wonders if he's 
if the benefit to him here is that, hey, if you turn right around and take another fight, there's not a whole lot of opportunity to dwell on it. Like you don't, he doesn't like to watch film to begin with. He likes his coaches to watch it for him and tell him what to do. He doesn't really like to think too much about his opponent. He doesn't like to have all that time to, to dwell on the fight itself. So maybe that's a big part of the thing for him is it's not just like getting out there and making the money. It's that if you take it on short notice, then you kind of give yourself a little, mental break there going into the fight i don't know yeah and i guess by let's never do this again he means let's do this again in two weeks yeah uh and i think you're right there's always been kind of a layer to donald cerrone that that exists underneath the the badass exterior that is as we said i think when we talked about him just last week right or or two weeks ago uh that he is like a, a very sober professional and a serious professional fighter uh, and he's been super honest, actually, about struggling with the mental side of the game and, and, uh, you know, super honest about how scared he gets before fights, which is, uh, um, charming, I think, in its honesty and also kind of like just another, uh, manifestation of him being like a total badass. Cause like most guys try to pretend like that's not really part of it. And he, See, at least publicly seems to embrace that. Um, it's an interesting point that you make about wanting to fight Ben Henderson now, uh, and giving himself a little mental break. Uh, at the same time though, this does strike me as kind of a strange fight for Cowboy to take. Uh, I guess you understand why he would want to fight him because he's, he's lost to him twice before and assumedly would like to get back a little bit. Uh, but at the same time, if you go out in your Cowboy Sonora and you beat Ben Henderson right now, Ben Henderson coming off a loss, I still don't think that puts you like full on in number one contender spot, right? Like you still, even if you run your current win streak to seven in a row, which would be craziness in this division, uh, I still think that you would be looking maybe at uh, Habib Nurmagomedov before you're allowed to get back in there with Anthony Pettis or whoever has the title at that point. A, I don't think Cerrone cares. Uh, I just don't think that the whole title picture thing and being able to fight for a belt and become the champion. I just don't think that means as much to him as other guys will say it means to them. Uh, I also think though that if, if he is thinking about it at all, he might be rightly thinking like, man, you don't know what the hell is going to happen with these promised title shots. I mean, look at your boy, Royal Roy McDonald, look at the red King, the cautionary tale of the red King. Even if you are promised like, Hey, you win this one, and you get a title shot. That doesn't necessarily mean that'll come true. And even if it's a fight where it doesn't seem like you'll get a title shot out of it, that doesn't necessarily mean that you won't. Like, I guess if you kind of take into account the unpredictable nature of, of, you know, both by injuries or just the UFC deciding to do stuff that nobody thought it was going to do, you might as well go ahead and take the fights and, and worry about making money, right? Because, uh, that, that stance he takes, like, hey, if I'm the champion, I'd have to fight all these guys anyway. So fuck it. Like, there's some logic to that. And also there's logic to like, you know, if you show up in Boston and fight Benson Henderson, you will get at least this amount of money. Like that's like the one thing you can bank on. If you're instead being like, I won't do that because I have a hope that I will get to fight a different guy, which will put me in a different fight, which will lead to more money down the road. Then you start engaging in this kind of speculative math that you have no way of knowing if it's going to work out the way you want. And a lot of it's not in your control anyway. So I don't know, maybe he like what he's doing is actually the most logical thing as far as uh, getting that paper goes. And I, I was kind of surprised. I looked at the odds of this one. I was thinking, especially on that quick turnaround, that Donald Cerrone would be a little bit heavier of an underdog. Uh, also with Henderson's wins over him, he's really not. The line's pretty close. It's like, I think Cerrone's like plus 120, plus 130. Benson Henderson, like maybe minus 150. Like odds makers are at least expected to be a pretty close fight. Yeah. And if it turns out that, that, 
Donald Cerrone really is just doing all this because he wants to make as much money as he as he can. And maybe he even needs the money because of his lifestyle, which we've talked about before. He's got to buy those weird water jetpack things or he can fly around out of the lake. Uh, I kind of find that refreshing, too. I have to say, like, if if, you know, these guys are here to do their job and, and you know, I feel like as fans, sometimes we want to impose this like warrior lifestyle slash mentality on them where they really uh, you know, value the nature of martial arts and they like, uh, have a very sort of like solemn and, and, uh, noble relationship with it where they're very concerned about honor, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but really these dudes are professional athletes. And if Cowboy Cerrone like just wants to make a ton of money, I don't know, man, more power to him as far as I'm concerned. Although I will say before we wrap up here in about, you know, the next minute or so, at what point do we get concerned about his health? I mean, I guess when he shows up looking like it's taken some kind of toll on him, you could kind of see that in that Nate Diaz fight. And we heard when you heard the corner commentary on that one, you could hear Greg Jackson and Mike Winklejohn kind of saying like, oh, he's fought too much this year. It's kind of showing like if that if that starts happening where he shows up looking like a guy who's been worn down either mentally or physically uh, and the toll is kind of being taken on him, then I think we, we might be justified and starting to worry about that but so far it hasn't seemed to be the case and you know when you talk to him he'll say he wishes that it was like the kickboxing days we could fight every weekend and i could see how psychologically that has an appeal like you know it's kind of like in baseball right where you have so many damn at bats and you're going to play again tomorrow that whatever nerves you feel during each at bat kind of get tempered down because it's not like you know everything hinges on this one time out but with fighting i mean man if you if you only get to fight once every three months everybody only sees you for 15 minutes uh you know once every three or four months that does place a a whole lot of pressure on you and maybe some guys just feel like they don't perform as well under that that better to you know stay in shape a little bit after a fight like that even if you're a little banged up and go in there uh where you don't have too much of a chance to psych yourself out um than to put it off and, and hope that everything will work out for you down the line where you don't know if it will well, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, this Sunday night, programming note, Sunday, not Saturday, the one that we've all been waiting for as Connor Anthony McGregor takes on Dennis D. Seaver. I'm sorry, what was that? D. It's just, it says on Wikipedia, it just gives you a middle initial for Dennis Seaver. Huh. D. So he's like me. I just have a middle initial. I don't have a middle name. I, I was going to assume it's short for Dracula. <laughs> Dennis Dracula Seaver. Uh, those they're they're gonna do the damn thing in the main event of UFC Fight Night 59. As we said at the opening of the show, more or less opposite the AFC Championship game between the Patriots and Colts. Uh, we can talk about that a little bit maybe, but uh, you just a moment ago read to me the odds off your computer. Uh, why don't you tell the kids at home what we're dealing with here? As of this recording, it looks like you're you can get Conor McGregor at about minus twelve hundred, meaning you would have to bet twelve hundred dollars on Conor McGregor to win a hundred. Dennis Seaver, on the other hand, about an eight to one underdog, uh, meaning a hundred bucks gets you eight hundred if Dennis Seaver 
pulls off a spinning back kick and knocks out Conor McGregor to shock the damn world. You ready to jump on that, Chad? If, yeah, if I had an extra 50 bucks that I didn't care if I ever saw again. So you don't have an extra 50 No. Okay. Got to keep buying them diapers. <laughs> yeah. And okay. keep paying for those sexy murals to go up on your bedroom walls. Those aren't cheap, man. No. To get a local artist to come in and do that, all the man hours. Yeah. It's, it's not cheap at all. Especially you're going to want some quality work there because you're going to be staring at it for a long time. Ben, I feel like one of the reasons that we don't often, or at least historically, we haven't seen this kind of like showcase matchmaking in mixed martial arts where it seems like a promoter is dead set on building one guy up to the point, you know, that it can, it can make a lot of money off him. Uh, is that a lot of times it goes bad, right? Like, you know, we, you know, Kimbo slice was supposed to fight Ken Shamrock as we all know. And, and he had to drop out and then fight Seth Petrozelli and, and lo and behold, Kimbo gets knocked out by Seth Petrozelli. Uh, the UFC at one point named a damn pay-per-view off Randy about after Randy Couture supernatural. Uh, when he fought Vitor Belfort and got uh, his eyelids sliced open with the seam of Vitor Belfort's glove and ended up for at least a minute losing the, the light heavyweight title. Uh, we saw Fedor in, in Strike Force when they were trying to, to squeeze, you know, the last few drops out of the ghost of Fedor Emelianenko. He ends up losing both to Verdum and to uh, Bigfoot Silva. Uh, the odds are pretty lopsided here uh, in favor of Conor McGregor. Uh, but what are the odds we see this go wrong? I don't think that this will go wrong. I think this is one where you can kind of, like, if you look at the matchup, uh, as long as everybody shows up being who they're supposed to be, I think Conor McGregor wins this one pretty easily. And I think that uh, Seaver is kind of well cast for his part in it because he's a tough guy. You know, he's not going to go down easily. He's not going to run away. Uh, he's probably not going to go in there and immediately shoot a double leg and, and plant Conor McGregor on his back. So you can see why he was chosen for this one. I mean, I don't think... The one thing that's kind of surprises me about the lead up to it is like how we can all make fun of the UFC for making it look like Conor McGregor is just fighting himself, but it's also at least honest, I guess, like they're not faking it, like they're not going to just try to hype up Dennis Seaver into something that he's not or like try to build like some kind of buzz around him that just plain does not exist. I don't think he's ever been in the main event in a UFC card. His last fight was a prelim on a fight pass card. You know, so we know what's going on here. And at least the UFC isn't pretending that something different is going on here. So, and I guess if you're going to have a one-man show, this is a pretty good man to have it around. Like, he he not only seems to welcome that sort of attention, which not a whole lot of fighters do, but can pull it off, it seems, uh, to a better extent than most fighters can. So, you could do a lot worse if you're going to have to have one guy carry the whole load there. Yeah, uh, it's not necessarily the sort of matchmaking that I like. It's not necessarily the kind of attraction that I'm all that interested in. It doesn't really, you know, feed into what I like about the sport. But at the same time, I think if we're going to be honest, like the Conor McGregor show is still pretty fun. Yeah, it like is. He's a charismatic guy. He obviously talks a great game. Uh, and, and to this point, he has been able to back that up in the cage. I think some people would say against advantageous matchups, but like all you can do is fight the guys that, uh, Uncle Frank picks out for him. As he famously tweeted once, there were, he and Uncle Frank were picking the next victim. Uh, so, you know, he's, he's come up aces all the way through in his UFC career. Uh, I guess I wanted to talk a little bit about the, about putting this, this fight on Sunday night because I, uh, 
I think because there's a basketball game and a, and a hockey game the previous two nights in Boston. So they kind of had to do Sunday if they wanted this venue on this weekend. But is it a huge mistake to do this up against the AFC championship game, especially since Boston's own uh, Patriots are in the game? Or are we like making too much out of that? Well, did you see today on uh, MMA Junkyard Story where Lorenzo Fertitta is uh, referring to this as beachfront real estate as far as time slots go? Uh, that having Fox on the NFL, the NFL on Fox has kind of a lead in there. Uh, and having all the promotion that they've been getting on playoff games the past couple of weekends, uh, that, you know, even if you get only a small portion of that audience, it's a huge, huge damn audience for NFL playoff football. So I, I think that we're, we're underestimating the extent to which like people who are watching football are hearing about this. They're, they're seeing those ads and it's like, you know, this crazy tattooed Irish guy who does talk a good game and has a charisma that comes across pretty much immediately, even if you don't know who he is or haven't watched his fights, haven't followed his career, you can kind of see that, oh, this dude seems interesting. He's going to fight somebody? Okay. I think that uh, the UFC is hoping not necessarily that a lot of people are going to watch the NFL on Fox and then say, you know what? I'm a huge NFL fan, but I w- instead of watching the other playoff game that's coming on right now, I'm going to stick here for the... Uh, the prelims here on uh, on and, and watch. Let's see what's the first fight here. Uh, Norman Park and Gleason Tebow. That's what I'll do instead of watch, switching over and watching. I don't think they're planning on that. I think what they're hoping is that you get it in enough people's heads. This guy's gonna fight this weekend. He's he's something special. You're gonna want to see it. And then when they're watching football and they hear or see on social media, hey, this fight's starting. That guy, that guy with the tattoo on his neck and shit. He's got the big grass gorilla on his chest. He's fighting right now. Switch over to Fox for, for a couple minutes to, to see what it's all about. That people will have it in their heads and think, okay, yeah, let me just take a little break here from the NFL, go see this guy knock somebody out and then go back over. And I, and I think that that's not necessarily a bad bet. I think that'll probably happen. Yeah. You think we're going to hear a lot about the peak rating? Yes. In the wake of this? Peak rating, key demos. Yeah, the peak rating is going to kill it in the key demos. I'm just going to go ahead and forecast that right now. I mean, it does, though, make you wonder, like, for, like, the hardcore MMA fans, the people who normally would look at this undercard and be like, okay, yeah, I'm I'm down for all this. I want to see all, you know, Donald Cerrone and Benson Henderson. Yeah, let me just sit here and, and sit through the whole thing, obnoxious commercials and everything. Uh, even they, though, are going to feel their loyalties a little bit tested when you're going up, like, when the whole card is going up against the, the AFC championship game, right? Yeah, and I saw today they were really trying to uh, pimp the the – UFC Rising, Conor McGregor documentary that they made that's going to be on FS1 tonight. And I was like, oh, and that's going up opposite against the college football national championship game. So kind of taking it from all directions a little bit. But yeah. uh, I, I'm i not really – we make jokes about it, but I'm not that concerned about it because I think exactly what you just said is going to happen. People will still want to switch over to watch – the Conor McGregor fight for whatever three minutes or however long it lasts. Uh, we're led to believe he wins this. He goes up against Jose Aldo, which again strikes me as some kind of a shoot the moon matchmaking, uh, by, by the UFC. Um, but at least then, right? Like that's the, this is what we've been saying about the, the prospect of a Conor McGregor title fight is at least then one way or another, we'll kind of have some closure on it, right? Because 
hey, if he beats Jose Aldo, then it proves that like he was who the UFC made him out to be all along. If he gets stomped by Jose Aldo, then all the people who complained about it can dance in the streets and uh, Conor McGregor will then have to recollect himself and come on back. Uh, like I don't necessarily think that that's a, a losing proposition, especially like you talked about that the UFC needs to make some damn money. In 2015, I can understand why they'd say, all right, let's get Dennis Seaver in here to get his ass kicked by Conor McGregor. Uh, and then we'll put Conor McGregor in a title fight. Like, at least I would prefer that as opposed to like after he beats Dennis Seaver, just finding another Dennis Seaver acolyte and throwing him in there and having, you know, pumping up another fight to have Conor McGregor just trounce somebody and make a big deal out of it. I mean, it, it's got to get serious for Conor McGregor one way or another after this because I don't think you're going to be able to do this too many more times. Yeah, I guess if those are our two choices, yes. I would take the title fight. Oh, uh, you're waiting for him to fight Nick Lentz, is what yeah, you're exactly, saying. Yeah, exactly. The Carney. Uh, and I guess, you know, when uh, Dennis Bermudez went down, snapped his winning streak and Cub Swanson lost to Frankie Edgar, that definitely opened the door for Conor McGregor. Because at this point, right. there's no one else to really like be enraged on behalf of. Right. Except for Frankie Edgar, who, you know, uh, I think if all things work out, maybe he wins one more fight, ends up fighting the winner of McGregor Aldo, uh, which if you're Frankie Edgar and Conor McGregor ends up winning the title might be the best thing that ever happened to you. Yeah. I, I just feel like the, this is one of those fights where the best reason to think that it won't go the way odds makers and everybody think it will, um, is just like a superstitious belief in the MMA gods. Right. Yeah. And, and ask Kimbo. Yeah. He's seen their faces. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He's seen the faces. He of looked the into MMA the gods. faces of the MMA gods upon Mount Zion's and came back a changed man. Like that's the only reason really to think that like Dennis Seaver, you know, good fighter, tough fighter, uh, really tough guy, but his skill set seems to play right into the hands of Conor McGregor. Like you could argue several of the matchups have. So, I feel like the only reason to think that this won't go the way the UFC wants it to is because the UFC so clearly wants it to. Like, there's no pretense here. They're not pretending that they want anything other than to be all the way into the Conor McGregor business. You know, we've seen it with those promos where Dennis Seaver barely gets to make an appearance. Uh, and, you know, he seems like the guy that, that just has chosen to, uh, come in here and be a punching bag that, that Conor McGregor can show out on. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned the kind of that this style of matchmaking we don't see that much in MMA anymore. The last one I remember that that reminds me of this was Crow Cop versus Gabriel Gonzaga. Remember that one where it was supposed to be Crow Cop was going to beat up Gonzaga and right. then go fight Randy yeah. Couture for the heavyweight title and it was going to be a awesome thing and then Gonzaga Crow Copped Crow Cop. Yeah. And it seemed like that was one where you could maybe detect a little change in the UFC matchmaking after that where they're like, you know what? We're just going to make fights where we can live with whoever wins because it's t too tough in this sport to predict who's going to win. Um, and then, you know, hey, we got to make some money. So throw Conor McGregor in against that little German guy. Yeah, well, we'll have to see how it goes if anybody gets crow copped. Uh, let's do just saying stuff, Ben, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, I know you saw it because you and Danny Downs wrote about it in your trading shots column this week. Shameless plug Shameless for plug you, by the way. Uh, but... Co-main event podcast spirit animal, Cody McKenzie, who, by the way, seems to have become like a thousand percent more interesting now that he's retired uh, than he was still out there trying to do it. Uh, he came out and with the quote, quote, all these people who talk about fighting, it's like a million virgins watching a porno. They've never had sex, but they all want to put their input in. It's ridiculous. Uh, they all have to have their input, but until you've been in a fight, you have no clue what it's like. That's the bottom line. It's like sex. Until you've done it, you have no clue what's going on. First of all, I'm just saying, 
he's kind of got a point. And I thought that Danny made an astute observation that as much as we make fun of state-run TV over on UFC Tonight, at least they've got professional fighters over there like Brian Stan and Daniel Cormier to break down the fights for us. But, Ben, I will also say, I'm just saying, I've seen some stuff in porn that I have never done before, but I still knew enough to be able to say, that's not the right way to do it. I'm just saying. (laughs) I would love to continue that aspect of our conversation off the air later on. Um, But for now, maybe we're just going to leave that one alone. Uh, Chad, I'm just saying, I know you saw Brendan Schaub's comments about a potential fight with Brock Lesnar. Should the big guy return to the UFC from that world of fake wrestling? Uh, according to Schaub, he would love to have a fight with, with Brock Lesnar. Says, I would 100% send him packing back to the fake wrestling. Hi-o. I'm just saying, Chad, uh, a couple things there. One, even if you did beat him, I don't think they would send him packing back to the fake wrestling. I think he'd, you know, he'd probably stick around and have another fight after that. Also, I'm just saying, Brendan Schaub, that is a terrible idea for you. A fight with Brock Lesnar, even if he has been grab assing over there in the fake wrestling. Because uh, I don't think you're going to take that guy down. And if he hits you with one of those ham hocks, I think you're going down. Also, finally, I'm just saying, because it seems like such an awful idea for Brendan Schaub, it also totally seems like something that the UFC would do. Oh, wow. Just, just saying. saying. Well, that's going to do it for the co-main event podcast this week. We'll be back next week to talk about new featherweight number one contender, Dennis Seaver, and all the other awesome stuff that happened at Fight Night 59. And look ahead to the rest of the fights that are all coming up at the end of January. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. What do you think? So, the porno like that you saw where you were pretty sure that they were doing it wrong. Um, I, I'm curious to know what Sensei Chad Dundas would have offered in terms of advice there because maybe maybe it's just something cool you don't know about. Did you ever think of that? Like that's possible? I mean, I guess I'm just saying that like uh, some of that stuff seems to be done for how it looks on camera.